So this morning, uh, we're going to switch gears, and we're uh, starting a new sermon series, Pastor Chris and I. So for the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, starting right here at, at Mark in Mark 11, and we're going to be working through uh, the chapter of Mark 12 as well. And the name for this series that, that we're, we're calling it is Questioning Jesus. Because in these two chapters, Jesus is on the spot. He is questioned many times and by different groups of people. And he, uh, in being questioned, he gives answers that are very profound and give us a lot of information about the life that Jesus offers, the way that he calls us to live. And so uh, as we begin this morning, I just wanted to take just a few minutes and just set the context a little bit for us as we enter in. So what's going on in these two chapters? What are we walking into? So the part of the gospel that we find ourselves in is after Jesus has entered Jerusalem, and it's in the midst of Holy Week, so it's right before he goes to the cross and, and dies. And uh, he, after he entered Jerusalem, he's been very active in the temple and doing a lot of different things. And what 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12 show us is uh, the showdown that results. Okay, so the showdown between the uh, political and the religious leaders in Jesus' day as they rub against the things that Jesus has been doing in the temple, uh, overturning tables, uh, he cursed a fig tree, which is, which is a, an image for the, the Jewish religious kind of structures uh, that, that were in place. And, and so what we see in these chapters is kind of the result of what Jesus has been doing in Jerusalem, but then also in his entire ministry, right? He's been, he's been uh, shaking things up uh, ever since he was baptized. And so that's what we're running into is the final questioning. And one of the things, one of the reasons why I think this is important for us to do as a congregation is because of how important asking questions is. Uh, you know, one of the things that we often hear in our, in our day is, is that, um, you know, Christianity or the Christian faith is something that you just have to believe, right? You've probably heard the term, the leap of faith, that they, you should just check your brain at the door and it doesn't matter about, you know, reason or logic or any of that stuff, that it's faith. It, we just have to believe, right? And that's, that's not what we stand for as Christians. That's not what we stand for here at First Hamilton. And so this uh, sermon series allowed us, allows us to ask the tough questions because there are a lot of tough questions out there. Nowhere in the Gospels do the writers assume that, that we shouldn't ask questions. It's actually, it's all over. Uh, the, the crowds ask questions, the disciples ask questions, the, the uh, religious leaders ask questions, and we should ask questions. You know, who is Jesus? What authority does he do these things? Why should we listen to him and follow him? And another misconception that I think this uh, series allows us to enter into together is that uh, when you become a Christian, there comes a point in your life when you no longer need to ask questions or you no longer should ask questions. Uh, some people may feel shame in asking some questions that they might think are simple uh, and they should know better. And, and that's not entirely true at all. And just like any relationship, uh, you know, the, the longer that you live in, in a relationship, whether it's a, a spouse or a sibling or a close friend, 
uh, the more questions you ask, the more you get to know the person, the deeper the relationship gets. It's the same with Christianity. It's the same with our relationship with Jesus. And so as we move through these two chapters in Mark's gospel, we're able to enter into the time and space that Jesus is in with these leaders and the questions that they're giving him or asking of him because they're hot button. They're headline uh, questions that we will encounter every day and we've probably asked before. And so uh, I invite you now just to uh, imagine the scene with me, okay? So uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the temple in the midday sun, okay? And it's beaming down on them and they're blown away by the greatness of the buildings, right? The, the beauty of, of the temple, and, and then, uh, you know, they, they, they see, uh, like, like a group of, of teenagers sees a, across the mall, you know, the, this, this friend that they didn't want to see, or um, someone who's taken a sick day when they weren't really sick and then seen their boss on the other side, you know. And, and the, the disciples, you know, Peter maybe leans over to John and says, there's the Sanhedrin, you know, the people who we know are not super keen on us being here and doing the things that we're doing. I, there they are over there. I hope they don't see us. And then and John, John leans over and says, I, they're looking right at us. <laughs> and then, and then Peter's, Peter says, no, okay, well, just be cool, okay? And then John says, uh, now they're walking over to us. And, and so Peter starts freaking out a little bit, as, as Peter often does. And, and then uh, eventually, you know, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council that the the elders and the, um, all, the, all the people are, are they're face to face with Jesus. Okay. And then they ask him a question, you know, what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do the things that you're doing here and in your ministry? And, uh, I think, um, one of, one of the things that this question is, uh, is posing to us, we can, we can re reword it and, and say, um, what they're, what they're really saying here is who gave you the right to come into our turf? Jerusalem, the temple, who gave you the right to come into our turf and say the things you're doing and do the things that you're doing? You know, who gave you the right to mess up our lives like this? Because, you know, we've been really working hard with the Romans. You're trying to have a, a good relationship with them so that we can maintain our power and control over the temple and things are going pretty good until you strutted in here and started overturning tables and messing everything up. So who gave you the right to do that? And Jesus, who has been challenging the shape of everything in his entire ministry, who has been calling people to repent and believe because the kingdom of God is breaking in, I think, I think Jesus was actually hoping that they would ask this question. Who gave you the right to come in here and do the things that you're doing? It's a good question. I don't know about you, but I can identify with the Sanhedrin. I am pretty content with my life right now. I'm a Canadian citizen, uh, which means that I have access to healthcare. And I have a car in my driveway that I can take pretty much anywhere that I wanted to if I, if I wanted to travel or see a different part of the world. Uh, I uh, earn a salary that 
notches me at the top 10% globally in income. So I have money at my disposal compared to other places in the world, incredibly wealthy. I have clothes on my back and food loaded in my refrigerator. I'm pretty content with the way that my life is, is going right now. And, and then, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, or I guess it's a few months ago now, um, we sat here in the sanctuary and had a town hall meeting on stewardship, the S word. And now I have been wrestling over the past few months in my position in, in what God has given me, the many gifts of, of, of income, of, of, of gifts of, of serving you as a pastor, what does stewardship look like for me in my position? And I'm going to confess to you this morning that I have, am tempted sometimes, because I, I, I do believe that God has stirred this up in me, that I can sometimes ask the question, you know, I was pretty content before this town hall meeting and didn't have to think about that, and now I do. So, Jesus, who gave you the right to come into my heart and my life and start poking me to consider this question? Who gave you the right to mess up my life? Perhaps you have felt this way. Perhaps you're sitting here in the pew and you didn't actually see yourself coming to church today, but there was this nagging thing that you just couldn't get rid of, and it brought you to sit down in this pew. Maybe you're hung up on the question, there's got to be more to life than this. But I know, you know what, what it means to get a job and to you know, earn, earn a living, but that's, that's not doing it for me. There's got to be more to life than this. And now you found yourself asking all these tough questions like who Jesus is and, and what the purpose for, for life is that he calls us into. Or maybe you too uh, know the feeling having Jesus in your life and feeling him poke you and challenge you to talk about that thing that you don't want to talk about or consider that thing that you don't want to consider. And we find ourselves, like the Sanhedrin, asking the question, Jesus, who gave you the right to come into my life and challenge me to mess it up? But if we ask this question, we have to be ready for an answer. And Jesus gives us an answer in this passage. In response to the religious leaders, Jesus flips the question on them. And he says, you know, all answer your question if you answer my question. Uh, I heard someone uh, say one time that when they read through the Gospels, they were completely turned off by Jesus because every time that he was asked a question, he seemed to flip the question and ask a question of the person who was questioning him. And that is exactly what politicians do. <laughs> and they didn't like the idea of Jesus being a politician. And so, but is that, is that what's going on here? Well, it was actually, it was popular tradition for rabbis to do this. So Jesus has precedent to, to turn the question on the Sanhedrin, and they would be expecting this. Okay, but what I actually, I wonder if what's actually really going on is that Jesus is digging a little bit. 
And he's trying to get to the root of the question. What's really going on by the Sanhedrin coming to him and asking him this question? And so he asks them about John's baptism, about the nature of John's baptism. Was it from heaven? Which is the Jewish equivalent of saying, was it from God? Was it God doing, leading John? Or was it of man? Was it from God or was it just, just a hoax, just a, a way to trick people into following Jesus? And so what Jesus is talking about here in John's baptism is, is John the Baptist was a messenger sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for him. And uh, he baptized people and called them to repent of their sins and be ready because the kingdom of God was breaking in. And, and John says, for after me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy of, of, of tying. I baptize you with water, is what John says, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so John was talking about Jesus, of course, and, and uh, the reality of, of what Jesus means in, in the world. And so Jesus asking the, uh, the Sanhedrin this question, he's really asking about his authority, Jesus' authority, in a roundabout way. Because as, as one commentator that I read um, this week said, a decision about John, is John sent from God or just, just a man? is actually a decision about Jesus, because John talks about Jesus rather clearly. And the way that Jesus does this is brilliant. He, he flips the question on the Sanhedrin in a way that they can't actually avoid. They have to answer this question. They're left to wrestle. Okay? And this reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis, which, uh, where he says, I think it's in Mere Christianity, where he says, you know, if Christianity is, is true, then it is of infinite importance. If the claims that Jesus makes is true, then it's the most important thing in life. If the claims of Jesus are not true, then it's of no importance. The only thing it can't be is the middle ground of, of mediocre importance. That's off the table. And that's what Jesus' question is doing for the Sanhedrin. Either he has the authority of God or he doesn't have any authority at all. And so the Sanhedrin discuss amongst themselves, and they answer, we don't know. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, it's good to ask questions. And I don't know is an okay answer if that's really what you believe. If you're wrestling with the authority of Jesus, is Jesus who he says he is? and that's really what you believe, then I don't know is a, is a good answer, but keep trying to figure out what you don't know so you can come to a decision on this. Because what the Sanhedrin, the way that they answer, is they back off. Because their answer is based on someone else, and the clue is how they come to decide. They say, if we say from God, then we admit that this man has authority then we admit that we should be listening to him and that the things that he's doing in the temple, that what he's messing up in our lives, we should pay attention to that. But if we say that he he's, doesn't have any authority, then the people will be upset because they think that John is a prophet. They think that he's sent from God. And so they weigh their options. Who do we want to upset? And they 
they back off and they don't give an answer. But they aren't actually concerned about answering this question honestly. They're concerned about answering this question in a way that will allow them to maintain control and power in their lives. Both potential answers that give Jesus, either from God or from man, would lead them into a place where they lose control of their position. And so they cowardly answer the question, we don't know. And so Jesus doesn't answer their question. But the Sanhedrin are scared. They're scared to lose the power and the control that they love. They're scared to lose the ability to call the shots. They're scared to trust someone else. And quite frankly, can we blame them? It's a hard thing to do. And we often do the same thing. But the religious leaders make two assumptions about Jesus that are dead wrong. First, they assume that if they confess that he has authority, that his authority is from God, and that they were wrong about him, that he will condemn them. But we see time and time again in the Gospels the way that Jesus interacts with sinners, sinners, and with people like um, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, that, that he's actually full of grace in interacting with these people. The second thing that they're wrong about is they assume that by submitting to Jesus' power and authority, the, the life that Jesus is teaching about, that things will end up worse for them rather than better. In other words, they assume that Jesus doesn't love them. They assume that Jesus doesn't love them, but they're wrong. And how do we know this? Because only a few days later, Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was uh, going to the cross, and he prayed to his Father. And he said, you know, Father, if you can, let this, let this cup pass from me. In other words, I don't want to die. And Jesus could be questioning God here and saying, God, who gave you the right to ask me to die? But then he follows it up by saying, but not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross and he died there. He, he took our sin and our shame and he let himself be killed. And so now we can look at the cross and know that Jesus will stop at nothing to love us and to care for those who give their lives to him. But Christ was not only, he not only died, but he was raised to life. He, he defeated and destroyed death and ascended into heaven with God. And that assures us that when we hand over the control of our lives to God, that it will not end up worse for us. Because Jesus Christ has gone to the worst place and defeated it for us. So all we get is everlasting life in a relationship with God forever. This gives us assurance that giving over control to the authority of Jesus is actually the safest place that we can be. So when we're tempted to ask the question, you know, who gave you the authority? Who gave you the right to come into my life and mess things up? Call me to change 
asking me to confess, we can look to the cross and see that Jesus isn't actually messing things up. He's inviting us to be renewed, to be restored, and to, to make us new. So in a few moments, we're going to sit down and take the Lord's Supper, a feast, a gift given to us that is a, an assurance that Jesus Christ is caring for us even now. He's sustaining our bodies, but he's also sustaining our souls. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that comes to us, that we can hear from you. And Lord, we thank you that you are our Savior, that you have authority from God, and that you use that authority to, to bring life and life everlasting for us. We pray that you would strengthen us by your Spirit, that we may uh, see that, that the things that you uh, uncover in us, the, the places that we need, we need to change or that um, we need to uh, think about in, in our lives are, is actually you um, loving us and uh, wanting us to be, uh, to be new, to be more, uh, more like you intended us to be. So Lord, would you help us to do this and give us the strength in, in our lives to, uh, to hand over the control of our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.